Welcome to the Swike Podcast, the only podcast that shares the stuff you didn't know you needed to know about jobs, careers, and life. The Swike Podcast, the stuff I wish I knew earlier. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier podcast. We're here with our guest host, Anu, and she comes from us to us with a computer science background, and she's doing some interesting stuff in education right now. Uh, so Anu, why don't you uh, start off by telling us a little bit about what you're doing now, and then we'll get into the backstory of uh, what we were like growing up. Well, Luki, thank you very much for hosting me at this podcast. Uh, I am actually current. I'm actually in the corporate world still, but my major focus and my side gig has always been to empower Generation Z. So they are. Uh, 10 to 20, but now I'm looking at even the eight-year-old age range at this point. I will talk more about that. The idea here is to really cultivate that next generation leadership mentality and to incorporate powerful skills in them that are not necessarily taught in mainstream schooling, right? So whether it be effective communication, how to, when, when you're thinking of building a business or having an effective career, or even having good friends, good friendships, how do you go about just managing yourself, self-regulation, and then becoming that leader that people would love to follow in the near future? So that's what I'm doing, and I'm pursuing and focusing on educating next generation leaders. That's amazing. And uh, you mentioned that you're in corporate, so you're still doing some like contracting stuff and, and project management and things like that. But I'd love to step back and talk to, to about you as, as a kid. So, so what was a new like growing up? <laughs> uh, very, well, I wouldn't say totally quiet, but I was quiet just, just because I was an only kid. I am an okay. only kid. Um, so uh, relatively quiet. I wasn't uh, very motivated to learn okay. the first till grade six and then boom grade seven hit and for some reason you know they say you are the average of the five that surround you right. that's exactly what happened so grade seven hit I went to a new school and all these motivated souls around me taking on all these different subjects and wanting to be first in class and that you know I was lucky enough to be part of that circle and that kind of changed me a little bit um, and I got better at school. So schooling wise, I changed from a very quiet, not unmotivated, demotivated person to a very motivated person. Um, I loved the performing arts. I loved to act. I, I love drama, but I stuck to something that was very, very comfortable, which is computer science, <laughs> because I was told that that's where the money is. <laughs> Cool. If, if you could go back to kind of maybe the first couple of days in, in that new school. So you mentioned you weren't motivated, you weren't really interested in school. And then now all these uh, motivated people around you, like how does that switch happen? And what are some of the like, um, uh, like the motivating thoughts that got into your head? Or, or how do you kind of uh, grow from being less motivated to more motivated? Well, I remember there, there are, see, Luki, with life, there are so many points in your life that sure. changes your path or changes your trajectory. So if you were to ask me in grade seven, what happened? I think there was this conversation I had with a friend uh, who mentioned to me, you know, as girls, we're just expected to get married and take care of the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we really, really need to prove ourselves to change our path. And I thought, okay, whatever, 
right? <laughs> that whatever uh, feeling that I had. Uh, but it, it kind of settled in. I went back home and I recognized that that was true, that mm-hmm. I was actually one of those privileged girls who had this opportunity laid out for me that I could get educated. Education was apparently a privilege for girls and that I had the option to go and get a university degree. And I also had the option to work. It was, so my family never restrained me. Just knowing all those things that that was a privilege kind of motivated. So that was one of the major things that really motivated me. And of course, my friends, right? Like I said, I had that circle, the group of girls who were like, we want to come first in class. We want to do really well. We want to be part of community programs and all sorts of things. So those were the little things that made the change for me. Cool. So, so grade seven, you kind of have this uh, awakening epiphany and, and now you're a little bit more motivated. And I assume that carried on with you in, in, in high school. So you were uh, hopefully getting some, some good grades and then someone plants in your head that, that computer science is where the money's at, where, where the opportunities are. Where, where, where does that come from? Does that come from like, like parents? Does that come from uh, people around you? Or because uh, to be honest, like computer science and, and, and being female, I mean, they don't necessarily go hand in hand. I know. Eh? I think computers, uh, the, the reason the computer science thing came about was, well, it was either doctor first. No, <laughs> okay, that's yeah. not happening. I, I mean, I was good at biology, but not enough. I, I still can't watch Grey's Anatomy, right? Okay. It's, it's like all that blood. So no. And then engineering. Well, it was just what kind of engineering. I wasn't really motivated. And that was a male dominant field. And sure. so at that point, no, I actually was interested, like I mentioned in the performing arts, but Apparently, that doesn't pay well, which is not true. But anyways, we'll touch on that. (laughs) The computer science definitely came from family who meant well, from parents, from family who meant well. And at that point, uh, you know, my background, I come from Sri Lanka, and we wanted to immigrate to a different country. And in Canada, if you have a computer science degree, apparently, it's easy to get a job and then easy to get your immigration. So those were the little nuggets that were put into my head. And I thought, okay, fine, let's do this, right? If that's going to, if that's what's going to pay me the money and give me a safe place to live in, then why not? So that's how the whole computer science degree came about. And, and about what time was that? Was that in kind of like grade 9, 10, 11, 12? Like, did you have a very uh, well set, settled kind of uh, direction at like, you know what, grade 12, I definitely know I'm going to apply to all these computer science programs and, and, and whatnot. Um, and then like, how, how does how does that trajectory uh, unfold? Uh, I, the funny the funny thing about that was I remember in grade 10, I went to a career counselor and I was like, okay, just tell me what are the jobs that'll pay, <laughs> right? And then he was like, that's not how it works. <laughs> and I thought he doesn't know what he's talking about, but that, he clearly did know what he was talking about. Um, but it was more so in university that I decided, yeah, this is, this is all right. Uh, I, I went in, obviously, when I I applied, I was in high school, of course, um, and there was really not much thought. It was just computer science at that point, just because that was settled into my head. Um, I just applied and I just went in. And in the first year of university, I thought, I can do this. Mm-hmm. I wasn't as passionate about it, or but I just said, I can do this. I can get through this. And... Tell us a little bit more about your decision on, on, on the school to go to, because there's a lot of great computer science programs out there. Um, I, I think you went to, to St. Mary's. And, and what was it about their program that was uh, interesting or that, that kind of uh, said, you know what, that's where I want to go? Well, 
I, so I was an international student, right? And at that time, my options were also UFT. I did get accepted there. Uh, but I, <laughs> I, when I got accepted, one of the concerns at that point was all this gang violence that was happening oh, no, in, the, okay. in, in, in Toronto. And I was going to be sent off on my own as an, you know, only child as a girl. And there was just this discomfort. Uh, do I really want to send my kid? there um so essentially the other options were there there were a few other options but i liked uh the counselor that actually came and talked to me the admissions person uh, back home when they came and talked to me i really really connected with them and they stayed connected so that's kind of one of the reasons and i felt like Nova Scotia was a safe place. Although I did, I was concerned. I was really concerned about the lifestyle that I was going to have there. I came from a city sort of lifestyle. I came to Toronto, enjoyed that for the, for a short stint for a week. And then I went to Nova Scotia, Halifax, and I'm thinking, my God, why did I do this? <laughs> the thing that was sold to me was the fact that it is a university town. So they had a lot of universities. You're going to, you know, there's freedom. There's all these students that you can network with and all that. That wouldn't that that was not the case for my first year at least, but you know I, I no regrets with the decision that I made there. So if someone's considering that decision to go to kind of like a, a university at a big city, like the, the the typical one versus kind of a university town, what are some of the things that they should be aware of that you kind of like? Oh my gosh, that this kind of blindsided me a little bit. Or what are some of the expectations if if you were to be in that uh, that environment um, that people should look forward to or not look forward to? Uh, well, the quietness, I was, I was okay. just so, I mean, people would just, I don't know how it is right now, but when I went there, people would just shut down at like five, six. And I thought, wow, this is it. Like at six o'clock, everything's closed. Uh, I was mainly in the dorm. Uh, of, of course, I was, that was my first time away from my parents, away from any, you know, so I was trying to make sure that I was safe as well. But just the whole concept of everything is so quiet um, and the food, the culture shock there. There weren't that many of my skin tone um, initially. So th those were things that I had to manage, I guess, and overcome. Uh, but the positive side of things was it's a close-knit community. So everyone knows everyone. If you're having an issue, if you're having a bad day or whatever, there are few people that you can reach out to. And I think St. Mary's did a great job in the second and third year that I was there. They actually went out and recruited a lot of students from India. So I saw a lot of South Asians and that was just exciting for me in the second year. Now I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm in a town. And so then they started celebrating South Asian stuff. So there was that whole diversity component that made me feel better. Uh, about things. So if, if, if someone was to ask me advice about whether to choose if you're a city person and having the opportunity to go to a small town, hey, why not, right? I mean, you might as well experience a small town, at least by experiencing it, I knew then that that was not for me, that that was not the place that I would want to work. But would I want to retire there? Would I actually want to go and work there later on in my life? Why not? You know, when I'm ready to settle down, I, I, at least I know that that's an option. 
Cool. And, and, and you talked a little bit about how uh, being an international student, you, you encounter a little bit of, of culture shock and, and things like that. So if you're to provide advice for those international students coming to Canada, because there, there's a lot of them, uh, what are some of the things that you'd want to do that that's uh, separate from the kind of uh, smaller town or whatever? Are there any uh, key kind of tidbits that, that you'd recommend for folks to, to consider? So if, if are you talking about Luki, the international students coming to a, a place like Toronto or a place like Nova Scotia? Well, I guess based on your experience, because I, I don't know if you could speak to the Toronto part of it. Um, <laughs> or of yours. Well, I've been in Toronto for a long time right now. And enough, diversity yeah. is, you know, diversity is there. There's, I think there is still a culture shock, right? Because back home, it's very family oriented. Things are, things are changing back home too. Sure. Um, people are getting, there's, more modernization which is all great but if you're coming from a very strong family background strong cultural background yeah expect to see some changes Toronto not as much of course you're surrounded by people who who have their own cliques I would say so you have to figure out how to get into those cliques or that network or that those groups but if you're going to a small town just be open to asking them about what their culture is and then they will be open to asking about your culture as well see when i went in there i was like why are people doing i i i just felt like why don't people eat with their hands for example yeah. right why but they're used to eating with their fork and knife maybe if i asked them the question hey have you considered eating with your hand what's wrong with eating with your hand what do you think right. having those kind of conversations might trigger uh, not trigger but might spark that whole conversation hey okay let, let's try eating with our hand and you can try eating with a fork and spoon and see how things go so have those kind of conversations which is why i'm in that whole uh, that's what i teach Generation Zs, right? It's about cultural intelligence that sparking those kind of conversations will actually build more connection with people. For sure. So I think that's some useful advice from, uh, well, anyone where just being open to exploring and learning other people's culture, that curiosity often mm -hmm. can, can uh, work wonders to kind of bridge gaps and things like that. Um, and you pay, your taxes. <laughs> pay your taxes. <laughs> Some people, they come from other countries and they're like, oh my God, what is this? Taxes? And it's like, yeah, <laughs> there are gotcha. taxes here. <laughs> so got to make sure that, that you're compliant with, with the CRA and uh, the Canada Revenue Agency and all that sort of stuff too. Uh, yeah. I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about the kind of the, the computer science journey and, and kind of learning. Was that, is that what you expected being from, um, from, high school and, and having to learn kind of this new technology and stuff like that. How is it? Because computer science is, is pretty male dominated as well. Like how, how was the uh, um, kind of diversity on, on that side from a, from a gender perspective? Were, were there a lot of females in the tech programs? No, there, I, I realized later on there were lesser females in that program than males. Uh, but that didn't bother me as much. I, I guess I wasn't really now, now looking back, I, I should have kind of wondered why why that happened. But for me, it was my focus was all about let's just get this degree. Uh, I, I had a business aspect to it as well. Okay. So let's just get that degree, get myself ready for that job, whatever job it is. And I really wanted to find a job within Canada, uh, anywhere in Canada. So my sole focus was just that. And I, I I guess I work really well with people, not 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 everyone, but I worked well enough with the professors and with the students that we uh, I was able to accomplish that goal. Uh, so there was no, oh, you're a man, oh, you're a boy, I'm a girl, let's compete. 
none of that stuff. It, it just seemed like, let's just work together and let's just get stuff done, assignments done. So it didn't seem like it was much of an issue for you. How about, how about the work experience aspect? Like, did you work like any part-time jobs while you were in, in university or did you uh, have anything like uh, kind of computer related in terms of work experience, co-op and internships? Yeah, yeah. So in uh, in the university, you could, as an international student at that point, you could only work within the university, right? Okay. Uh, th- these were the rules at that time. And basically, I took on anything. I took on a marketing coordinator role. I really sucked at it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I was making posters, which looked like cartoon characters, uh, not even cartoon characters. But hey, they paid me. They kept me for some time. Um, I had, I actually did painting like uh, residence painting so I would paint okay. residences I would say I was okay with that I had the patience I just didn't like the smell at that point they didn't really care about the environment and all that so that um, I was also um, an RA um, so uh, some people who manage the residence so the okay. dorm um, and I was also part of uh, a trial team so by trial meaning if you were in the dorm and if you created havoc and if you were a problem child, then you would be meeting us gotcha. <laughs> and you're on trial. That was fun. That was a lot, a whole lot of fun. Uh, so that, and sometimes I would help out in the library. So all these were actually paid jobs that okay. I, I got into and I felt so proud when I did that. And then of course I volunteered as well. Now, as far as co-ops, yes, I did one internship and that, uh, that was with Nortel Networks. If anyone remembers Nortel <laughs> Networks is, um, and I started off, uh, with the four month, eight month, and then they just extended it to 16 months. So that was my internship. And, and how was that experience? How does that experience compare to kind of like the academic, um, uh, learning and, and I'm guessing it helped you get the, the full-time job after you graduated. Uh, no, actually, Ed Nortel actually went sunk after that. Sure. I don't know if I had anything to do with it, but it, <laughs> it sunk after that. But I did find another job with another startup company uh, full-time. Uh, the experience there is what is the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. In, in essence, I like I mentioned, I just thought it was only the technical skills. So I was very, very tunnel focused on learning the technical skills. That was all I needed to get a job and to do really well. I, I wasn't thinking of C-suite and all that till I actually joined Nortel. And I thought, hey, how can I be a team leader? How can I be a manager? And no one, you know, no one really told me that I didn't have the skills to move up to team lead. I I really didn't. Uh, so in Nortel, I kind of, uh, I realized my technical skills were okay. I would say I'm an average. So technical skills were okay, but my soft skills and my leadership skills were not at all there. Uh, it, it was, I was kind of blindsided about those things. I didn't know how to interview well and all those things. And then I went on to get a few jobs and it's through those jobs that I recognize the importance of all these skills that now that I teach these kids. Cool. So, so walk us through some of the, the jobs that you've had. So, so I saw you were at Aon for, a, for a quite a number of years. <clears throat> and then how did that uh, kind of change your uh, or, or reinforce kind of your, your, your uh, current path that you're on? 
Yeah, Aon or Hewitt at that point, it was a really, yeah, it was a really good experience. So prior to that, I was with a startup company. That was a good experience just being in a startup. And then later with Hewitt, that's where I really learned the importance of leadership. I had a really good manager, Aisha. Uh, she was someone who really, who was a good coach, right? Um, I would always wonder why was I not moving up the ladder and all those things. And then being sent off to do all these training, to be given the opportunity to lead teams, that comes from a good coach, from a good manager, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so th that's pretty much what set my framework of learning about these skills and really helping move, move departments, building teams, especially the whole outsourcing part when uh, uh, Aon, oh, at that point, Hewitt, Aon Hewitt outsourced to India. Mm -hmm. I got an opportunity to train people in India to mm -hmm. really build that whole branch over there, which was great. I And, and to, to be able to train online at that point, no one really teaches you, but what I learned was how to be able to manage people, how to be able to understand their performance, how to be able to trust people, how to be, and I also have an edge as, and I know how they were educated. So asking questions was not natural. There was always this, you know, people in the States or Canada wondering, well, if you have a question, just ask it. Sure. Well, that's not how they were taught. They were taught yeah. to respect their teachers. They were taught that I say you do, right? Things are slowly changing there, but that's how they were taught. Now, all of a sudden they come into the work world and you're telling them you can actually ask an authoritative figure a question. That's too quick a change, right? right? And so that whole behavioral change, just managing that, earning their trust. Because remember, when we uh, outsourced to India, so were the Googles and so were the Apple, so were all those big companies, right? HP, they were all outsourcing too. So these people could easily find a job. There was faster turnover. So the turnover rate was pretty high. To mm -hmm. maintain and to have that stability, required that whole connection and I enjoyed doing that. So the whole behavioral component I enjoyed and I learned it as well. And was a lot of this learning just on the job or were there any kind of formal training or courses that that, that uh, kind of helped you along that, that path? I actually did. I took formal training on my own or otherwise, yeah, the company would send me. I was just very, very interested in human behavior, performance. And I really didn't think that that was something that people learned, you know, I just thought that, you know, if you want to be about, if you want to be a psychologist, maybe, but I didn't realize that all these behaviors make you a better manager or a better leader or a better employee or whatever it is. So I took initiative to go out and learn and I had aha moments and I would come back so excited and share that with the adults that I knew. I was like, Hey, do you want to learn this? Do you want to know this? This is what I learned. This is so cool. Um, so my eyes, I, I know my manager would say, you should be a coach. You know, your eyes just light up right. when you, when you tell people, this is what you learn. Um, but yeah, at that time I didn't consider coaching as, <laughs> as something that I wanted to do, but it's totally out of my either my own initiative or my man, manager seeing yeah why don't we just send her out for classes or courses cool could you share one of those aha moments like one one that you might remember uh so so that other folks can can benefit from from your learnings <laughs> oh so many aha moments oh just one wow. <laughs> just one okay just one uh the idea of um, 
body language. Okay, so I'm probably not picking the biggest aha moment, but one of the aha moments is for speaking. Um, As much as I'm comfortable doing one-on-one speaking, I wanted to go out and speak to a multitude of people. I wanted to speak on stages. And constantly people kept telling me, think of people naked and you'll be fine. Well, that's not the case, right? (laughs) And that came out to be an aha moment when one of the speakers, when one of the coaches said, no, you have to think about these, uh, the audience as having compassion and coming to you for support and visualize them smiling, visualize them wanting growth from you. And when you visualize a human being like that, you almost feel like supporting and you go there with the mentality of I'm in service of you. I'm up here on stage is not I'm here with full of glory, but I'm in service of you. So when you visualize them that way and you know in your mind that you're in service, all of a sudden the words just come naturally and you just feel less and less nervous. And to me, that was an aha moment back then because I thought people were just telling me to overcome my nervous by picturing everyone naked and that was not helping. (laughs) Now this helps, right? So it's just a small thing. Now looking back, it sounds like common sense because I keep telling people that, but back then that was an aha moment to me. Same thing like delegation. I could tell you so many things, Luki, and I know you told me to tell me one, but yeah, like delegation and listening. There's all these little tidbits that you learn through coaching and you learn through all these training courses that make you a better human being, a better person. Sure. Maybe we'll have you back and do an, an episode specifically on, on all these different, uh, the aha episode or something like that. Yeah, why not? <laughs> um, but I want to kind of go back into your journey. And then, so you've been in, in, in the corporate world for a while. You're kind of climbing the ladder, doing a whole bunch of different things. Um, and, and then uh, I, I guess there's some some transition along the way where, where you talked about like, well, learning to be coaches uh, and, and getting connected into like the, the coaching world or the personal development and transformation world. Can you, can you walk us through a little bit of, of, of that and, and maybe the timing around that? Yeah, again, so the plan to get into computer science was planned. Mm-hmm. Getting all those jobs was all planned. The coaching was just, you know, I guess some people just see some sort of strength in you and people just tell you, hey, you should be a coach. And I'm thinking, what is a coach? You know, I've heard of basketball coach, football coach, what's a coach, right? And then people will talk about life coaches. And I'm thinking, okay, yeah, right. (laughs) You you go through this phase where you're like, no, I don't think that's a real thing. And more and more, I started finding people that I trust and that I look up to start becoming coaches. And that's when you start taking it seriously, right? When there's like, what do they say in a sale? You have to make six to seven points of contact. So when you have six to seven people who you trust and believe in changing into coaches and actually doing really well and making that impact on people, uh, you start taking those things seriously, right? Um, so essentially that was it. I, I heard people telling me I should at least look into it. And then I saw people doing quite well in that field, quite well, as in they were transforming lives and they were financially doing well as well uh, through the coaching, through their coaching programs. Um, So that's, have I answered your question? I don't know if I did, but. Yeah, it's just the curiosity of like, like the personal transformation of wanting to get into the the coaching world. So, uh, and, and probably it's that more that the identification. So it's more of like, 
yeah, when one person says it, but when seven, eight people start saying it, it's like, okay, maybe I should listen. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, when you have those types of moments and okay, let's uh, look into that. And, and I guess what was your, your approach to, to get into that world? Were, were there any formal training that you, that you took or is it just curiosity and researching online or is there an, another path that you took? Yeah. So like I mentioned, when I was at Hewitt, I was always coaching and training uh, individuals or groups or really trying to ensure that there was uh, a proper training program set up. So I loved, I knew I loved training, uh, learning and uh, development. And I wanted to stay in that field, but I mostly got hired for either the programming field or <laughs> to become a project manager, essentially. Yeah. Uh, I never in any company that I went to, I always tried to run some sort of training program, or I would at least be in at least with the with my own group, I would try to run some sort of an internal program. So that was with adults. Uh, sometimes I would be sanctioned to do uh, training programs for adults as well in other organizations. But it was a couple of people uh, who came up to me and said, why don't you teach some of this to kids? Mm-hmm. And I thought, mm, will kids really get it? Like, would they? Like, we. The thing is, uh, right now for for adults, this is what is probably stopping us from moving to a management position, or it is stopping us from moving to a leadership position. So we feel the pain, and that's why we take the course, right? With kids, it's like, I don't know. I don't know what I want to be. You know, uh, do I really need to learn these things? Uh, So I had that mindset as to will they see value in it? But I thought, hey, you know, I have to be open minded. Let's go. Let's train. Let's start teaching. And so it was a small cohort of people. And with kids, the aha moment is much faster. (laughs) When you tell them, if you communicate with, when you communicate, Uh, and articulate really clearly, your parents understand you. If you're wondering why your teacher is not asking you or is not involving you in something or your friends are not involving you, have you taken a second to think how you communicate with them? Or let's see, do you, you know, how do you listen? How, what, when I say something, what are you actually listening? When you say these things to kids, they, they will look at you weird at first and then they go on to thinking, let, let me try this. Let me try asking the questions Anu told me to try tomorrow in class and see what happens. Or if I tell them how to present, right, instead of all those glossy backgrounds and all that simple background, but just share your point, they, they go ahead, they try it. Some of them actually try it and they get a round of applause and that confidence level increases in them. So that was my kind of start about teaching Gen Zs. And I found there was so much more value in, in that. If, if I just tell them that this is effective communication, it is about leadership skills, that's going to help you even get your first job at McDonald's or, you know, or do a really strong interview or, or, you know, start that business that you wanted to start at 15 or 14 or whatever it is. So that was kind of my journey into uh, coaching. I read a lot. I listen to a lot of podcasts. So a lot of my learnings and a lot of my learnings also comes from other coaches that we sit around and we talk and we try to think about how we can transform people. If you're stuck, I've got a group of people that I can always go to. That's amazing. And I'd love if you could share uh, kind of that first 
uh, I guess, child or first person that you connected with. So you're in the zone where, uh, like, will it work? I, I'm not sure. Uh, like, there's a lot of doubt. And a lot of folks are in that similar situation where they want to start something, uh, be it a coaching program or, I don't know, a marketing agency or consulting or whatever it is. But it's that that kind of first step. Um, so, so what was your approach to defining that that first person so that you can kind of say, you know what, uh, let me try and, and, and hopefully it works. And if it doesn't, then then uh, continue on. So can you walk us through that that uh, time? Yeah, it was actually through Toastmasters. So I was part of Toastmasters and through Toastmasters, they said, hey, you know, do you want to just they have a youth program? Do you want to try that out? And I did. And that and it was free, of course, at that time for me. I say, of course, because I'm starting, I'm trying to figure it out as well with them. Um, and it was just that small cohort of students just trying to go through. And in, in Toastmasters, it's, you go up, you speak, you get evaluated. So it's going through that kind of a format. But then as I kept going through that kind of format, I started changing things and I started individualizing it to certain people. So if they're going through a bullying situation, then I would do a one-on-one -on -one coaching on what, what they were going through and how they can manage it. Or if they're not being picked for projects, if they're not being very effective on projects. So how, how can we be much more effective with our time and all that? So these were experimental projects and they, they were open to it too. They committed to coming weekly and learning these things. And that's how I kind of started off that particular program with, with a couple of people. Sounds like you kind of lucked out with an opportunity because there was an organization already set. They already had kind of a youth group there and they said, hey, we're willing for you to experiment if you're willing to put in the effort. And uh, yeah, so you were able to kind of build that in and then are starting to see uh, some success there. So uh, yeah, and that kind of brings us closer to present day. And I would love if you can kind of share uh, some some uh, general swipe, the stuff I wish I knew earlier. I know you already shared a lot of them, but there's kind of like uh, one or two kind of main points and then uh, hopefully get into some like your future aspirations and, and, and what you hope uh, kind of this uh, um, training of, of the new generation, the Gen Zs, uh, what will that turn into? So yeah, if you want to start with some, some of that kind of general swike or anything that you want to kind of double down on or just uh, reiterate, it would, would be great to share. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot. Let's just <laughs> go back to maybe high school because I teach a lot of high school students and I see a lot of myself in them. So one of the things that I always tell them that I wish I had known is that life is not just an upwards journey, right? Mm -hmm. When you are 14, 15, and you are, like I said, I was surrounded by motivated people. And for us, making mistakes or failure was just not an option. But it was, I don't think it was something that was pushed or forced on us. It's just something that we thought, oh my God, we can't fail. We have right. to move up the ladder. And any sort of failure was just very demoralizing. And I'm, I sense that even with kids right now. And I wonder, like, do you not think that you can change your path when you're 25? Do you not think that you can change? you got your whole life ahead of you, but you want to figure it out at 14. Mm -hmm. uh, it might sound hypocritical <laughs> that I'm saying that right now, but that's what I went through. And if I was to go back to my 14, 15 year old, I would say, hey, it's not a straight path. Actually, the challenges, when you learn from your challenges, it makes you a better person. No one really likes a person who goes, hey, I had a perfect life. Like, I don't think I would be even having this interview with you, Loki, <laughs> if I said, ah, I had a perfect life. I was a great, you know, great student, uh, you know, awesome at university, awesome at work. I've got it all figured out. You probably be like, we don't even need to do this interview. So those challenges is what makes you that human that you are. Uh, the other thing I would say is I, 
I really, really, and I, till to date, I keep reminding myself is gut feeling, you know, it's, it's, it's always good to have logic in you, but if there is a gut feeling that tells you, you know what, do it, do it. Otherwise you're going to regret it. Go for it. You've done your pros and cons. I mean, I'm a project manager. I do risks and assumptions and all that beautiful stuff that a project manager does. But then if my gut says, I know you're going to regret not doing this. I just take the leap. Right. And I wish I told that to uh, my high school age, like when, when I was in university, because uh, again, uh, performing arts was something that I really wanted to do, but I just thought that's, there's no money. So do some research. But now at the age that I'm in right now, I am looking at voiceover and I'm learning voiceover and I'm learning acting. But I wonder, had I followed that gut, maybe I could have mixed all that up and things would have taken me in a completely different trajectory. No regrets, but I always wonder about that. So gut feeling is another thing. And the other thing that I would tell myself is don't limit yourself based on other people's limitations. Mm. So there are people who think, you know, who love you and who care for you. And with with their own experiences, they are going to suggest to you, go do engineering or go do accounting. That's what's good for you. But your passion lies somewhere else. Make sure you do your research. Make sure you follow your passion, follow through with your passion. Don't just say I'm passionate and just hope to God that things happen. Make sure you follow through with it and then go with it, right? And don't let other people's limitations limit you. It's amazing. So, and, and some of the things that it reminds you of. So, so the first one about uh, life being kind of, uh, cyclical and not always upward trajectories that uh, I often tell people that uh, life is kind of like the seasonal, right? So you have summer, winter, fall and all that sort of stuff. And so so be prepared for winter <laughs> when it comes because it eventually will come. Hopefully it's a short winter. Uh, and and the, the other part that it reminds me of is uh, in order for you to, to jump or to get higher, you first have to crouch down and, and go down first, right? You can't jump just by going up, right? And, and that's just not a physical possibility. So understanding that sometimes those failures or setbacks are meant so that you can spring uh, higher. So, so what you said kind of reminded me of that. On, on, on the gut feelings, uh, I think that, that that's great where uh, humans are basically just pattern matching machines, right? Where you already know, not necessarily consciously, but you kind of already know. And, and sometimes it's that gut that's telling you to go for it. Now you got to make sure it's it's tuned to the right frequency and you're not uh, like like um, picking up on something that's not there. But oftentimes your your, your gut is right. And and the the limitations part. What what I uh, took from that is is uh, there's a book. It's called the, the Magic of Thinking Big. And, and they mm-hmm. a lot of folks aren't aren't motivated because their dreams are too small, right? So if if your dream is just to to wake up and and become an accountant or a lawyer or a doctor or whatever, those are great. Right. But I mean, if your goal is to like empower the next generation of Gen Z's, well, that's a little bit more motivating and will get you out of bed uh, there. So I think that's amazing. And, and where can folks uh, connect with you or reach out or find out more about what you're doing? And we'll, hopefully we'll have you back for another episode of like a new Zaha's and, and a lot more conversations <laughs> as well. Uh, but if folks want to connect with you or learn more about you, where, where could they go? Wow, Luki, I like that. Anu's ahas. Hmm, I, should, uh, I should copyright that now. <laughs> no problem. It's yours. <laughs> Luki, well, people can reach out to me through email, which is anu.yogeswaran at gmail.com. That's my email. They can reach out to me through LinkedIn. I also have a YouTube channel as well. But uh, LinkedIn, I'm definitely active on it. So you can find me and reach out to me and ask me any questions that you have. 
That's awesome. And then can you share a little bit of your future aspirations uh, for, for, for this program and some of the other things that, that you, we can look forward to, hear, to seeing and hearing from you? I'm in the business or I'm, yeah, I'm in the field of transforming Gen Z's because I just having kids of my own and seeing all these children, give, giving children the opportunity to do transformational leadership can change the trajectory of this world. Like imagine if there's so many of these kids going and thinking nothing's going to stop us, nothing, we're unstoppable. Imagine that's just, that excites me every single day. So what am I trying to do? I'm, uh, I hope to build a school of my own. I hope to uh, have retreats as part of my program. Right now I don't do that, uh, but I'm hoping to do retreats as part of my program because I think that whole connection with children really works. If I can put a travel component into it, that'll be marvelous once COVID <laughs> goes goes away. Um, and, you know, at, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm hoping that it could be more international, like globally accepted uh, to just build transformational children, just transformational youth. That's amazing. So I'm excited <laughs> to, to hear all these great things and would definitely love to uh, connect with you more and, and collaborate on, on this journey. But uh, thanks so much for, for sharing your story and all these insights. I think there's a lot of wonderful uh, uh, tips and, and, and aha moments. And hopefully we'll have you back for another episode. So thanks, Anu, for joining us. Thank you so much, Loki. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks for joining us on the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier, the podcast. If you like the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you found this podcast. And if you can give us a review, that would be very appreciated. Feel free to contact me on LinkedIn at Luki Danu, L-U-K-I-D-A-N-U, and the same on most social media platforms. And I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Bye.